You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. The views, opinions, and content of the show's hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Doctor's Lounge Show with Dr. Scott Barber. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and you're listening to me on America's Web Radio. Today, we have a really important show. We're going to talk to you about the fact that you can no longer trust the experts. We have to get back to thinking for ourselves, and we have to beware of what is going on in the world around us. And it's really not just healthcare. It's happening everywhere in education and politics and business. We're seeing it in our everyday lives. This attempt to prevent us from engaging in critical thought and making decisions for our own and trying to funnel all of these important decisions that we make in our lives to the so-called experts. And I think what we've seen in the last couple of years in a very powerful way is just how flawed these expert decisions and 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 the way that they control our lives are. And it's very important that we start fighting back against this because I see it in medicine where my ability to assert my own opinions and to use my own training and experience to address problems is being usurped by medical boards and three-letter agencies like the HHS and the FDA, the World Health Organization, the CDC, all trying to prevent me from weighing in and helping my patients and sticking to my Hippocratic oath of do no harm. Now, I got this article sent to me by my friend Phil, who's a great listener to this show. I know he never misses a show, so I'm going to say, how you doing, Phil? Uh, he sent me this article talking about uh, – it was p- published in um, – Health Day, uh, News uh, for Healthier Living. This is dated March 3rd, 2023, Health Day News. Alarmed by increasing, sorry, alarmed by the increasing spread of medical misinformation, 50 U.S. medical and science organizations have announced the formation of a new group that aims to debunk fake health news. Called the Coalition for Trust in Health and Science, the group brings together reputable associations representing American academics, researchers, scientists, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, drug and insurance companies, consumer advocates, public health professional, and medical ethicists. Now, that sounds great to the layperson, right? Oh, wow, they're going to have all these really smart people that are going to get in and tell us how things are. But what this really is, is an attempt to establish their own experts and people who can create their own narrative that we are not able to question. So that when the powers that be, the government powers uh, supported by their corporate uh, special interests and uh, other powerful people in the world, the elitists, the globalists, the people that are trying to create this uh, great reset and this one world order. They're all trying to prevent uh, individuals from making their own decisions about their lives. And we've been talking about that on the show. I've been showing example after example of just how dangerous this is. And we've been talking about the techniques that they use to prevent us from making our own decisions about whether or not we want to take a new experimental vaccine, 
uh, and all sorts of things. What kind of medications, what kind of care do we want in medicine? Now, we talk about it all the time. When I first started doing this podcast, I really was just interested in promoting free market healthcare. And in my heart, my belief was there were people out there that thought that socialized medicine was a better, more fair way to administer healthcare and that free market medicine excluded uh, poor people and, and basically people that, uh, that, you know, didn't have the means to take care of themselves. I now realize nobody believes that socialized medicine uh, is an effective way to administer healthcare. It absolutely is not. Socialized medicine is den- not denial of healthcare, but what it is is a method of uh, usurping power over people, maintaining control, and control of one's healthcare is very serious control over the individuals, and it's just part of a bigger picture of controlling us. Uh, they're now working towards the the banking system. Uh, they're working towards the uh, uh, centralized digital currency, which is going to make life very difficult for people when the government controls where and when you can spend your money. Uh, so we got a lot of dangerous things going on. Healthcare is a major component of this attempt by the global elites to assert power over us. And I want you guys to be able to see the playing field, particularly how it relates to healthcare, because this is going to be going on and it continues to go on. We just saw they're trying to establish this entity that has all of their government designated experts to try and tell us how the world is. And we know that this hasn't worked. And I'm going to show you a lot of examples about it today. Now, what are the techniques that they use to get us to think about this? I, I started paying attention to this in medical school. It didn't sit right with me, and I think God just kind of made me an independent thinker, a critical thinker. I always just had a natural inclination to think for myself. It probably had a lot to do with my parents, my mother and father, who taught me to you know never trust anything in a, in a book just because it's – well, not anything in a book, but just because it's in a book, don't trust it. Uh, so the techniques that they use are they use these appeals to authority, right? We see it all the time. We've shown examples of these college kids. The CDC says, the World Health Organization says, the FDA says, and it supposedly just ends the debate. They don't want to talk about it anymore. Uh, they use a 97% of climate scientists. It's an appeal to authority. It's a way to say your opinion doesn't matter. We saw uh, the... Uh, Bronte, I forget what her name is, the Bronte Remsick is the third year medical student who's got a large following on Instagram and she goes on uh, Daily Wire to argue for uh, abortion rights and she starts off with this diatribe about I am not here to debate you, I'm just here to tell you about what the experts say and your opinion is irrelevant because the experts say so, just so scary that kids today are thinking in this manner and it really makes it a dangerous world for us. But they do these appeals to authority. When that doesn't work, they do the fact checkers, right? We talked about Anthony Fauci uh, being confronted uh, before Congress with a audio tape of him saying, if you catch the virus, you don't need to get vaccinated anymore. Uh, the, the, you know, catching the virus is the best vaccination you could possibly get. He said this many years ago. And Congress was confronting him, like, how do you square that with your assertions today that there's essentially no natural immunity or he was very much downplaying natural immunity and still pushing the vaccination? And Fauci goes to a fact checker to say, 
a fact checker says that what I said those years ago is not in conflict with I'm, with what I'm saying today. It's just so ridiculous. A person not able to defend their own words. Um, they label things misinformation, right? They'll come out and they'll just say, this is dangerous misinformation, almost as if like, oh, well, if it's misinformation, I guess you're justified in just canceling that person who's asserting it. Never mind the fact that uh, so many things that have been misinformation over the last couple of years have turned out to be absolutely true, right? It was once, uh, if you say masks don't work, that's misinformation. If you say you can't catch the virus after you get vaccinated, that's misinformation. But we know now masks don't work. The Cochrane Library the most uh, reputable repository of scientific information, the Cochrane Library, just did a meta-analysis on masks and confirmed that the uh, data confirm that masks do not seem to be effective in the prevention of transmission of respiratory-like illnesses, including COVID. Um, we not, we, I've played the uh, HHS Director Walensky um, asserting and making the statement that what the vaccines can no longer do is prevent uh, transmission and prevent you from catching uh, the COVID virus. I mean, there was a time when people like me and others were labeled as known spreaders of misinformation. And then it turns out that we're right. If we just wait a little while, the fact that the virus uh, leaked from a Wuhan lab in China, we now know that that's the case. And in fact, that the uh, National Institutes of Health and Fauci were funding the gain-of-function research in the Wuhan lab. Where that was once misinformation that would get you kicked off of social media. And now uh, I'm going to play for you Christopher Ray, the FBI director, saying, yes, it did come from the lab. Um, so many things over the last uh, few years that were labeled as misinformation that turned out to be 100% true, which which begs the question, why are we avoiding debate? Once you see something is labeled misinformation and we're not allowed to debate, and then it turns out later that what was labeled misinformation turns out to be true, like masks don't work. Well, then why couldn't we have debated that at the time the question posed itself? And the reason is these police state totalitarians want to prevent any dissent. But uh, despite the fact that I'm going to show you example after example of how these techniques that they use uh, fail time and time again, they're going to continue to try and implement them. And the more people start thinking independently, the more they're going to put together these these conglomerates of uh, government-approved experts. Uh, one of the other things they'll do is cancellation, right? If somebody starts uh, spreading misinformation and the powers that be deem this person as a known spreader of misinformation, they'll simply cancel them. Dr. Peter McCullough, who had a, a non-government approved view about COVID and for the last several years has been sharing all kinds of scientific data, actual scientific data, and offering opinions that have now all turned out to be absolutely correct. Things like that masks don't work, that the vaccines are not efficacious, that the mRNA vaccines uh, experimental, they're not even vaccines, the mRNA technology has a dangerous side effects. And for that, this most decorated cardiologist, and I want to say he's a Yale professor, who's basically stripped of all his credentials because the powers that be couldn't fight him on the merits. And so they simply canceled him. The other thing they do is they just memory hole it. If they don't like the information, they just get rid of it. Uh, we talked about this uh, when I was um, 
doing research uh, to be able to remind myself when the CDC altered their numbers from I don't remember what the numbers are exactly. And I know the fact checkers out there, they're going to attack me. The CDC modified their numbers from like 60,000. They said it was 60,000. We implemented the lockdowns. And then over that weekend, they changed it to 30,000. And the fact checkers, um, you know, came out behind that and just said it didn't happen. And then when you go to find this information, it's not there anymore. Um, a, a classic one for me is the very powerful research that was done called the Oregon study showing that uh, people with Medicaid have worse health outcomes than people with no health insurance at all. If you go and try and research that today, they've done a great job at burying it with junk science uh, so that the information is essentially memory hold. So if you get some new young new medical doctor today that wants to go and research that stuff, it's going to be very difficult for them to sift through all the uh, fake stuff. And I'm going to show you where they have all this junk science. We've been showing it on this show all the time, how they use junk science to sort of uh, justify their issues. Um, they'll talk about best practices. Now, when I was in medical school, I remember they used to, they, they started dropping this term best practices, which, which never really set well with me. Um, you know, it's kind of like if you can just admit, let's just imagine quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, uh, that's to me is one of the most elite positions on the planet, right? You got, I don't even know. I stopped watching football when they stopped, started hating on America and kneeling. Uh, uh, it just offended me so much. I haven't really seen a game. So I don't really know much about American football anymore. Um, I don't know how many teams there are, but let's just say there's 30 teams in the NFL. You got, you know, 30 starting positions at quarterback. It's a very unique talent. Just imagine a group of so-called experts sitting down to say, you know, what best practices are as an NFL quarterback. You got to stand in the pocket. Uh, you have to throw downfield, you know, whatever. You have to have all these. There's a certain number of runs and passes that you do in the game. Well, we would all say to ourselves, that's utter, utterly ridiculous. There's all different kinds of quarterbacks in the L. There's quick and fast and, and mobile. There's ones that stand in the pocket, have powerful arms. There's a lot of different ways to play that position of quarterback and be very successful. And there's no expert that can sit down and say, this way is the best way to play. Uh, but, uh, and, and, you know, people didn't come up with this. These were just athletes that were really good at what they did. And they, over a period of years of training and playing in, you know, Pop Warner football and then high school football and college football and pros, they developed this skill set. And these things evolved. Well, that's what a doctor is. A doctor goes through training. Uh, they then practice medicine. And by being involved in that every day, you know, I always talk about uh, I'm, I, I feel like I'm done with board exams. I'm tired of these board exams. I get tested every single day with my patients. And my patients will come and get me if I don't do a good job for them. And this idea that these medical boards are somehow uh, ensuring that I'm up on the latest data is just, it's not how it works. They're trying to tell me things. They're trying to keep me in this mindset of best practices. Don't use my own independent thought and and do what I'm told is essentially what that is. They'll use this term evidence-based medicine so that, you know, that, you know, if you do something 
Is that FDA approved? It will always be the first question. No, it's not FDA approved. You know what is approved? It's approved by me using it and knowing that it does no harm because that's what the Hippocratic Oath is. Uh, Platelet-rich plasma is a perfect example. Uh, when platelet-rich plasma, for those of you who don't know, it's a situation we draw somebody's blood. We spin it down in a centrifuge. We get rid of the red blood cells. And in the middle portion of that uh, that plasma is what we call platelet-rich plasma. And that plasma that is rich in platelets, platelets are a type of white blood cell that uh, promotes healing when you inject in an area. When that first came around, there was no FDA approval. Uh, there was no, you know, best practices of it. It was sports medicine doctors trying to solve problems based on available data and research. We would study uh, different things that, you know, concepts of stem cells and things like that. We started using this plasma. And by we, I mean the the um, community of uh, sports medicine doctors and medical doctors started employing platelet-rich plasma and we started noticing that it was effective. And I remember 20 years ago or so when I first started using platelet-rich plasma, I had people with very difficult problems, plantar fasciitis, you know, real bad pain in their heel that would, failed with surgery, failed with physical therapy and all kinds of things. And then I would give them the platelet-rich plasma because I, I knew it would do no harm, meaning the worst thing that was going to happen if you inject this stuff into an area where a person is suffering and unable to achieve relief in any other manner it worked. And then I tried it again and again and again, as did other people. And we did more street research and we kept learning about it. There were no best practices. And in fact, there were people that didn't want there to be uh, an effective platelet-rich plasma. And I'm just, this is my opinion, but platelet-rich plasma is relatively cheap in the sense that you're getting blood from the patient. So there's no medicine that can be sold by a pharmaceutical company. And the powerful a medical industrial complex, I, I believe, was discouraging the use of this very effective treatment because it wasn't something that they could sell. And this is the problem with this idea of, you know, appealing to authority and experts using fact checkers, this concept of misinformation, cancellation. If somebody's out of line too much and they just are too effective is basically what it was. That was the situation with Peter McCullough. He was just too effective. So they just had to cancel him. Uh, they have to memory hole information. When they get information that just is too uh, powerful, they just get rid of it. Creating this idea of best practices and evidence-based medicine. All of this stuff is designed for them to maintain control. Now, Dr. Marty Macari was testifying uh, before the House Subcommittee uh, Roundtable on COVID. And I want you to hear uh, what he says. I, I just don't think anybody could say this any better. Misinformation during the pandemic has been the United States government. Misinformation that COVID was spread through surface transmission, that vaccinated immunity was far greater than natural immunity, that masks were effective. Now we have the definitive Cochrane review. What do you do with that review? Cochrane is the most authoritative evidence body in all of medicine and has been for decades. Do you just ignore it, not talk about it? That myocarditis was more common after the infection than the vaccine. Not true. It's four to 28 times more common after the the vaccine that young people benefit from a booster misinformation our two top experts on vaccines quit the fda in protest 
over this particular issue, pushing boosters in young, healthy people. The data was never there. That's why the CDC never disclosed hospitalization rates among boosted Americans under age 50. The vaccine mandates would increase vaccination rates. The George uh, Mason University study shows it didn't. It did one thing. It created never-vaxxers who are now not getting the childhood vaccines they need to get. Over and over again, we've seen something that goes far beyond using your best judgment with the information at hand. We've seen something which is unforgivable, and that is the weaponization of medical research itself. The CDC putting out their own shoddy studies, like their own study on natural immunity, looking at one state for two months, when they had data for years on all 50 states. Why did they only report that one sliver of data? Why did they salami slice the giant database? Because it gave them the result they wanted. Same with masking study. Well, the data has now caught up in giant systematic reviews, and the public health officials were intellectually dishonest. They lied to the American people. Thank you. So that's really powerful, right? I mean, I couldn't have said it any better. Uh, Marty Macari is a professor at Johns Hopkins University and a, a surgeon. He made every point there that, you know, they use these terms of misinformation. They cancel people. They ignore data. They engage in junk science. They're flat out dishonest, right? Human beings are just untrustworthy. And all of this begs the question of why don't we just go back to having open debate? There is no entity that is capable of uh, making somebody or deeming somebody an expert and deeming other people non-experts. I use the example uh, all the time about Joseph Lister, who's the father of antiseptic medicine in Britain, and how long it took him. It took him over a decade to get people to buy into his uh, methods of sterilizing surgical equipment and performing uh, uh, surgical procedures using sterile technique and how there was an 80% decrease in mortality. I mean, such a powerful uh, person who was labeled a known spreader of misinformation back in his day. And then he turns out to be 100% true. I mean, we see it over and over again. And Marty McCarty uh, nails it right there. That's exactly what has been going on. Now, they want to have uh, experts, right? So they're using experts. I'm going to show you another clip of former CDC director, Dr. Redfield, who's talking about the fact that he was excluded when the discussion of the lab leak theory uh, came up for COVID, the concept that the COVID vaccine was a leak from a Wuhan lab in China, which, you know, we, that was at one point a cancelable, uh, uh, um, infraction, if you were to say or suggest that the virus, the COVID virus and the pandemic was the result of a lab leak in China, you were thrown off of sh- social media, you were labeled a known spreader of misinformation and you were attacked. I want you to hear uh, Dr. Redfield, who also is before Congress. Locked out of conversations about the lab leak by Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins. Do you think they kept you out of the conversations because you believe COVID-19 may have come from a lab? 
Yeah, I think I made it very clear in January to all of them why we had to aggressively pursue this, and I let them know as a virologist that I didn't see that this was anything like SARS or MERS because they never learned how to transmit human to human, that I felt this virus was too infectious for humans. There was a lot of evidence that lab actually published in 2014 that they put the H2 receptor into humanized mice so it could infect human tissue. I think, you know, we had to really uh, seriously go after the fact it came from the lab. And they knew that that was how I was thinking, although I thought we had to go after both hypotheses. And I was told later, uh, I didn't know I was excluded. I didn't know there was a February 1st conference call until the Freedom of Information came out with the emails. And I was quite upset as the CDC director that I was excluded from those discussions. I mean, here's a guy, here's a guy who's actually got the label of an expert, right? He's the CDC director. He's actually a virologist. We're dealing with a pandemic involving a virus. And at the time, it's supposedly, you know, one of the worst things that ever happened. This is a narrative that they were trying to tell us when they were trying to scare us into keeping our kids out of school, into wearing masks for two years, into shutting down our businesses, into spending ungodly amounts of money, trillions and trillions of dollars. Uh, and now we find ourselves in this uh, financial crisis. And listen, that's that's a good segue into understanding how they use the power of the healthcare system to invent to uh, implement their political agenda. And now we're suffering the consequences of it. And they're going to try and use the current crisis, this banking crisis with the Silicon Valley bank collapse and these other banks, the massive inflation rate, which has really put us in a bad uh, situation, and they're going to try and use this to try and uh, implement central uh, digital currency. And the problem with central central digital currency is the government is going to be able to control the flow of money. If they have a digital currency and they don't like what you're doing, they can freeze your bank accounts. We saw this in Canada just recently. Justin Trudeau with the protesters up there, he didn't like what was going on, and he froze their finances. And when you have a central digital currency, it's going to be easy to do that. So here you get Director Redfield at the time, CDC Director Redfield. He is uh, banned and canceled. He's basically prevented from being in these discussions about the origins of COVID. Now I want you to hear Christopher Ray, the FBI director. You also back then about the investigation to COVID origins. Is the FBI in charge of the investigation of the origins of the coronavirus? Uh, we certainly have a role in looking into the origins of the coronavirus. Now there's this Department of Energy study uh, that says it's likely uh, to have come from a lab leak, although the confidence is low. It cites the FBI. What is the determination by the FBI? So, uh, as you note, Brett, uh, the FBI has for quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. I mean, there you have it. So, if you said it back in 2020, you were canceled. You were eliminated off of social media. You were labeled a known spreader of misinformation. And then when the truth comes out and these people get caught, you get the FBI director. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Well, wait a second. If there was not allowed to be any debate because some expert, Fauci, said that it did not come from the Wuhan lab and therefore we are not going to talk about it. 
Then later, you got another expert, Christopher Ray, who says, yeah, the expert from before was wrong. And we change our opinion to the truth. Doesn't that just tell you that we should just have open debate in the beginning and that we shouldn't have these designated experts? I mean, I just don't understand how people allow this. You know, I don't understand how people will see these very important personal decisions for themselves and their families to these so-called experts that are just like every human being on the planet. We are all sinners. We are all subject to uh, self-interested um, ideology. We're all looking out for ourselves. I mean, it's 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 just the way human beings are. And we, you know, some people more than others tend towards corruption. And when they get caught lying and cheating and stealing, we are going to continue to cede our power to these uh to these people so <clears throat> you got dr redfield from the cdc says that he was eliminated from conversations when he wanted to talk about uh the fact that the virus came from the lab leak and so he was essentially canceled and then uh and then we got Christopher Ray admitting it when freedom of information material becomes available and there's no, it's no longer possible for them to deny that it came from the lab leak. It's just ridiculous. Now, they don't just use this in healthcare. They, we've seen it a lot in healthcare, how they use junk science, these experts to try and control the way people think. Um, but it, they don't just do it in healthcare. They do it in other things. Climate change for me is another one. Now, it seemed to me that I'm old enough to remember when I saw the cover of Time magazine when I was a young kid and they warned us about the coming ice age. And, you know, because I was young and innocent, I assumed like, wow, it's in a magazine. It must be true. And the government says so. It must be true. And the coming ice age is so horrifying. And my friends and I at school would talk about, oh, my God, what are we going to do with the coming ice age? We're all going to die. Then they talk about the ozone. Oh, my God, the ozone is up. In fact, to this day, I don't use aerosol cans because I was so terrified by this ozone issue. Now, of course, turns out the ozone thing was a scam. There's not, the, the ozone's the same. Uh, the, the aerosol cans did not cause the ozone to go away. And, in fact, it turns out that man doesn't seem to have much impact on what's going on with the ozone layer at all. Uh, then all of a sudden you see that. Things more from the coming ice age to global warming. Oh, my God. Nothing has ever been as hot as it is today. Global warming. Now, I don't want to get into all the details with this, but I actually, as a scientist, have been following the science. And you see over and over again, they do this modeling technique. This is a big scam in science where they get experts that will put together a model like uh, how many people are going to die of COVID. And then when they actually or that the the uh, the great one was when the Royal College of London estimated that the mortality rate from COVID was going to be 3.4%, to which I said that's utterly ridiculous just from the data we have. And then, of course, they after they get what they want with the lockdowns and the mask mandates and all the governmental control over people, once they had that all in place, then they came out. They didn't say it out loud. They didn't come out and say, hey, I know when we panicked you guys saying that the uh, that the 
uh, mortality rate was 3.4%. I know we freaked everybody out, but now we've learned that it's, you know, more like uh, 0.2% more in line with a typical flu season. They didn't say that out loud. They just quietly put that in the uh, CDC data. And then people like me would see it. And I would try and share it with you. People like, hey, did you guys notice that the CDC just modified their mortality rate of COVID to something that's way, way, way less scary? No, no, they would label me a known spreader of misinformation, even though I was citing CDC data uh, and, and move on. I mean, it's just like when they get information they don't like. Now, we're going to go to break here in a second. I'm going to come back. I want you guys to hear Congressman Tom Massey questioning John Kerry on climate change in a congressional hearing. And I want you to see the technique that uh, these uh, globalist elites that are trying to control us, the tactics that they employ to try and uh, win win debates. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and you're listening to me on America's Web Radio. And uh, when we left for break, I was talking about the fact that the globalist elites, these people that are trying to use the power of healthcare and and to try and control our decision-making, control our thinking, uh, use these appeals to authority, these experts. They cancel people with opinions they don't like. And the reason that they do these things is because they cannot stand up to open debate, and that's why they fear it so much. And so anytime you see anybody that wants to avoid debating, that should raise alarms uh, in your mind, and we need to get away from this thinking. Now, this was really important when we talked about uh, masking our children. You know, for a couple of years, we were forcing our children to wear these masks. And, uh, you know, I remember one image of a, a couple that had their uh, a small infant child, I mean, less than two, that was uh, fussing and unable to wear the mask. And they ended up throwing these people off a plane. I mean, it almost seems unbelievable if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. But when you try and argue, we went to court uh, and there was a case uh, that went to court in Florida where they they won and they were able to get rid of these mask mandates in schools, but it was very difficult. And I spoke to the attorney 
who was engaging in these lawsuits. And basically what he said was happening was they would go to court. He would have all his data proving that the masks were ineffective and in fact causing harm. Right. And then the other side, the nurse, a nurse representing uh, the government and the CDC would get up and just say, well, the CDC says masks work. And then the judges uh, would go, mostly liberal judges would go and say, oh, well, if the CDC says so, that's the end of the debate. And there was no there was no um, there was no um, what's the consensus on person? Sorry, there was no um they had no reason to have to argue, put up an argument. They would just appeal to authority, and that was the end of it. And so uh, I want you guys to see uh, why they are so unwilling to engage in debate and why they u- try to use these authorities to avoid debate. Just listen to Congressman Tom Massey talking to John Kerry about climate change. What's the consensus on parts per million of uh, CO2 in the atmosphere? About 406, 406 today. Okay, 406. Are you aware... 350 being the level that scientists have said is dangerous. Okay, are you aware... 350 is dangerous. Wow. Are you aware that since mammals have walked the planet, the average has been over a 1,000 parts per million? Yeah, but we weren't walking the planet. It's... um, Let me just share with you that... We now know that definitively at no point during the least the past 800,000 years has atmospheric CO2 been as high as it is today. The reason you chose 800,000 years ago is because for 200 million years before that, it was greater than than it is today. And I'm going to say for the record. Yeah, but there weren't human beings. I mean, there was a different world, folks. We didn't have 7 billion people. So how did it get to 2,000 parts per million if we humans weren't here? Because there were all kinds of geologic events happening on Earth which spewed up. Did geology stop when we got on the planet? Mr. Chairman, this is just not a serious conversation. Your, Your testimony is not serious. All right. I mean, that to me is just so emblematic of this whole concept of trying to end debate and censorship. Here you got John Kerry, who, listen, I'm old enough now. I I lived through the coming ice age. Then they changed it to global warming. Then the temperatures wouldn't go up. So we had a whole generation of kids that went to school being taught global warming was happening when they didn't see one single year of temperature increase. And uh, you get a person who's asking Reasonable questions. Congressman Tom Massey, he's saying your assertion is that the temperature was was cold and then all the way back to 800,000 years and that the reason it got warm was because humans were here producing CO2. And then Tom Massey points out that John Kerry did what they what the these people always do when they're trying to manipulate science is they cherry pick the data that supports their position and they ignore the data, the data that refutes their position. So if you go back to 800,000 years ago, then John Kerry's assertion appears to be true. And Tom Massey is saying, well, let's go back to the 200 million years before that. And it was hotter than it is today. And John Kerry smugly and snidely, it's like, well, there were no humans there. That's making our argument. You're the one who's saying that human beings are the ones that were responsible for the increase in CO2. There were no humans 200 million years ago. So how do you, how do you, and then he tries to go, well, it's geological stuff. And then Tom Massey is like, what? We don't have geology today. It is. And then what does he do at the end? John Kerry, this is not a serious conversation. Now he's a little bit stuck right there, 
But of course, the powers that be, the government, these agencies will all circle the wagons and all protect John Kerry. And when the data is out there, they just memory hole it. They just pretend like it isn't there. And yet we continue to go on with this climate change. And I would argue in the last, I don't know, five years, 10 years, where the censorship has been enormous, meaning you know, we're all censored on social media. I'm censored on all my social media platforms. Even on Twitter today, I can still tell it's a little better than what it was before Musk took over, but I'm still censored as are other people. There was really no discussion of climate change. And it was like the world was running amok with just climate change, man-made global warming. and ma- Or I should say what they're saying now is man-made climate change was 100% happening and there was no pushback on it at all. And I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, what's going on here? And the reason was people were just completely censored on it. Then when Elon Musk took over uh, Twitter, there starts, there has now started to be the ability of people to push back on this assertion that man-made climate change is this big issue. And we're having an open debate where we can see things. Now, I would argue that the debate isn't as open as you would like, because I can tell you just from running a big company, uh, you know, the person in charge can have a one agenda, but if all the worker bees at the company have a different agenda, they can have a great influence on it. And so I believe that's still going on at Twitter where a lot of the people who work there are still sort of selecting the narrative. We saw that with, with, we see this in politics all the time. You know, the agencies and the, the bureaucracy that are there permanently, if they have somebody who comes in, they just ride it out. And we saw, uh, time and time again, where people just refused to implement Trump's policy when he was in office, knowing that he would be gone soon. And, you know, it's difficult for one person to keep tabs on on all these different things. And that's why we have to have open debate. We have to be willing to talk to one another. Science is not definitive. Whenever you do a paper, you're just adding to the body of knowledge. And people who are real scientists understand that you can have a study conducted by a group of people that shows A, and then you can have a study that's exactly the same type of study conducted by another group of people, B, that come to the opposite conclusion. That happens in science all the time. There are people who produce studies, and then the scientific community will say, we're trying to duplicate your studies, and we're unable to do it, which makes us question the validity of the science that the original person put forth. This is normal thinking in science. We don't just have a question, you know, do, does the vaccine work? We do one paper. Yes, the vaccine works. And then we're done looking at it. That's just not how science works. but they're trying to convince us of this. Now, the other thing that has been happening is that once they get these experts in place, once they get the concept of having a body in place or an, a certain p- person being an expert in place and that we're not able to operate outside of that person. We see it now with the medical boards, right? I showed you, or I presented to you on this show how all of the medical boards were saying, if anybody says anything negative about the vaccine or the mask, that they'll be risking their license. These medical boards were trying to control the way independent doctors were thinking. And worse yet, they start implementing other agendas like social justice. And when you put people into positions based on uh, social justice, their race, their gender, their transsexual uh, 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 positions, all of these different things that really have nothing to do with whatever the job at hand entails, we create problems because these people a lot of times – 
do not have the ability to do the job at hand. And, you know, if it's something, uh, you know, let's just look at Pete Buttigieg right now, who's the uh, head of the Department of Transportation. I mean, we have a problem with formula, right? So babies are literally, parents are unable to find formula for the babies. And you go ask Buttigieg what he's doing. He's like, oh, I'm on, I'm on paternity leave because he had just had a baby. And it's like, are you kidding me? Anybody in the private sector who really works knows that when your company is on the line and your business, you don't take breaks. Yeah, that's just not how it works. But he knows eh, it doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm just a figurehead. Uh, then we have this train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. And, it, you know, you have to have citizen journalists showing us that this mushroom cloud of toxic fumes, you know, going miles into the atmosphere. You see all these dead animals and dead fish everywhere. And where's Pete Buttigieg? Oh, uh, you know, uh, it's it's social justice stuff that's the problem. I mean, it's really amazing and it's dangerous. Now, when it's the Department of Transportation, that's bad enough. But now... We're talking about the uh, uh, Federal Air and Aeronautics uh, Chief, the FAA, Washington FAA Chief. Let's let's take a listen to his confirmation hearing um, by Senator. He's being questioned by Senator Ted Budd uh, for his confirmation hearing uh, for FAA Chief. Let's listen to this. Quickly tell me uh, what airspace requires an ADSB transponder. Not sure I can answer that question right now. So what are the six types of special use airspace? Uh, sorry, Senator, I cannot answer that question. Okay. So what are the operational limitations of a pilot flying under basic med? Senator, I'm not a pilot, so... So can you tell me what causes an aircraft to spin or to stall? Uh, again, Senator, I'm not a pilot. Um, okay, uh, let's keep going. What are the three aircraft certifications FAA requires as part of the manufacturing process? The, the three no. types? Okay. Let's just keep going, see if we can... Uh, um, get lucky here. So can you tell me what the minimum separation distance is for landing and departing airliners during the daytime? I, I don't want to guess on that, Senator. Are you familiar with the difference between Part 107 and Part 44809 when it comes to unmanned aerial? No, I cannot. Uh, it's okay. Senator Ted Bud. I mean, are you kidding me? This guy is is sitting for confirmation of the FAA chief, and he knows absolutely nothing about flyings and planes. Are you guys comfortable with that? Are you guys comfortable when you get on a plane that the people that are running the nuts and bolts of the airline industry are there because of some social justice warrior situation and they have absolutely no knowledge of uh, what's going on with uh, how, how planes fly? I mean, I'm not. I mean, I, when I walk onto the plane... I want to know that those people are the best trained people on the planet and that they're the most talented people. And I don't care what they look like. I don't care if they're transgender. I don't care, you know, what their color is. None of that stuff, which is really the truth of most people that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we just want people who have competence in what they're doing. And of course, the more important it is, you know, you want your surgeon who's going to be operating on you doing your brain surgery or what any kind of surgery. You want that person to be well trained and to be competent. You don't want them uh, to to be there based on any other criteria other than merit. And when they start doing this stuff, um, you know, it puts us in danger. Now, one of the things that I've always been talking about, one of the reasons I even do this podcast, and one of the reasons that I 
I started thinking to myself, I want to talk about these very general concepts because to me, all of this stuff is intuitive. And, you know, maybe that's not fair to a lot of people. I'm an older guy. So I've had, you know, the opportunity to, to live life and to learn some things. I'm also, you know, very highly educated. I just know a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff to me is just obvious. And so when I talk to you guys about, um, how they use these appeals to authority, how they use fact checkers and how they use misinformation and cancellation and how they memory hole information and how they try to label things best practices and evidence-based medicine. It's just a tactic to be, to try and prevent you from being able to use your own, uh, your own, uh, personal information. Now, you know, when it comes to important decisions for myself and for my family, I want to be the one making those decisions. And I had talked about this and was canceled and attacked for it when the new experimental vaccine came out. And of course, they're not vaccines, the mRNA technology. I was able to look at the data and understand the data myself. I didn't take any experts word for it. I did it myself. Uh, And I understood that the risk to my children uh, for this vaccine was small and that this new experimental medication was new. I mean, I didn't know anything about it other than it was new. And I was trained in medical school with new vaccines in particular. It takes like 10 years to fully understand all of the ramifications of, of a new medicine. And I just, I wanted to be the one to be able to make the decision about whether or not to give these children or give my children these, these drugs. And then on top of that, because I'm old enough to know that uh, there's corruption out there. And I mean, I've shown it on this show over and over again. We see how Dr. Redfield from the CDC, he had opinions that Fauci and, and those guys didn't like, so he was eliminated from conversation. And then when we get FOIA requests for the data, you know, Christopher Ray's put on the spot when he's being interviewed by Chris Wallace, and he has to say, yeah, yeah, no, it, it came from the lab, just like uh, people who were canceled were saying, you know, the year before. Now, the thing that's really annoying to me, not the one thing, it's all super annoying to me and scary. I'm very scared right now at the power that all these government agencies are asserting over every aspect of our lives. But when these tyrants get busted with their own data, they're the ones that are able to say, eh, I don't trust the data. So you got Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who ran her state like a police state uh, tyrant, she, locking it down. I, you guys remember she wouldn't allow people to go and buy gardening stuff, uh, while at the same time her husband is going out to the lake. And, you know, when they got the whole state locked down, her family's trying to go out on the boat. The husband was busted, uh, you know, telling the boat person, do you know who I am, right? Like, I'm the powerful tyrant. And, you know, I know you guys can't go out on the boat, but, hey, we're going to be allowed to go on the boat. So, She's being confronted in an interview. I think this is with Chris Wallace. And he's saying, hey, when we look at your state compared to Florida, the mortality rate was actually higher in your state. And he's presenting her CDC numbers. So these are, you know, this is the government agency that they have selected as being an expert. And those numbers are telling Gretchen Whitmer that her policies actually led to a higher death rate. I want you to hear this interaction. One of the last states to lift a cap on public gatherings in June of 2021. By comparison, Florida lifted its cap in September of 2020. But the death rate for Florida 
from June of 20 to June of 21 was 39.6 per 100,000. The death rate from Michigan was 97.3 per 100,000, so more than double. Why did Florida do so much better without the cap than Michigan did with the cap? I've seen a lot of reports about some of the numbers that you've just cited from Florida and perhaps the, the lack of confidence in the actual, you know, in the, um, accuracy of them. I don't know. I'm not going to weigh in on their policies. I'm going to tell you, I listen to the best experts in the world. I mean, are you kidding me? So you got Gretchen Wetmer here. There's so much to unpack from this. So we're living in this world where the global elitists keep telling us that we have to cede all of our power uh, on everything. You know, climate change to me is, you know, it's 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 the coming ice age. No, I mean, it's global warming. No, I mean, it's climate change. And all I need to protect you is all of your money and all of your power. Uh, I need you to cede all your liberty to me. Uh, they use these experts to try and control us. They'll use best practices and data and junk science to assert power over us. Gretchen Lit- Whitmer kept the state of Michigan locked down for so long, shutting down businesses. And she's sitting here throwing it in your face. I use the best available data. I use the science. And then she gets confronted with the science that are from her her people, and when I say her people, like you don't ever, don't ever throw the CDC in my face again. I, 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 just, just because it has the CDC label on it, I don't accept it at face value. I still want to see the data. But you throw those numbers at her and she just goes, ah, I don't, I don't believe it. So we're using data essentially from places like the CDC to give her the authority to shut down your businesses and make you guys go bankrupt. And then when she's confronted with the data, like, eh, I know I was wrong, but, you know, I did what I was supposed to do. So it begs the question, why are we giving these people authority to have this kind of power to make us go bankrupt, to force us to take medications that we don't want, to uh, uh, control our lives in every meaningful way? Uh, it's just it's it's absolutely unbelievable to me. And, you know, we, we put these people in power. And they're finding the it's kind of like the longer we go on with having these, you know, globalist elitists, these these people in power that select the, the experts, they try and find the most broken people and give them positions of power. And then they start pushing agendas that really have nothing to do with the position that they hold. And I'm going to go back to Admiral Rachel Levine, who's uh, was born a man. And she transitioned to a woman or he, Adam, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say to not be canceled, but this person was born a man, now lives as a woman, Admiral Rachel Rulene, and she's the, she's a pediatrician and she's the former assistant HHS director. I want you to hear her talking about nutrition, uh, and the importance of nutrition. Hello. I am Admiral Rachel Levine, the Assistant Secretary for Health at the United States Department of Health and Human Services. March is National Nutrition Month, and the Biden-Harris administration is taking action to support public health by offering evidence-based guidance on nutrition. The 2025 to 2030 Federal Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee just met for the first time to begin its review of the relationship between diet and health throughout our lives. 
This committee will make recommendations for the new dietary guidelines for Americans based on a number of important factors, including socioeconomic status, race, ethnicity, and culture. Each of these factors impacts the food that we eat, the food that we're able to access. I mean, did you hear right there? Evidence-based. She drops the evidence-based. Don't you dare doubt me. Don't use any independent thought. Don't even try to, uh, you know, argue with me. I'm the assistant secretary of health and, uh, you know, health and human services. And she starts talking about all this social justice warrior stuff and nutrition. It's just, it's ridiculous. It should have no impact on this stuff. And, you know, we've shown over and over again where these people uh, are lying to us and they're misusing their authority over us. Um, you know, Dr. Marty Makari, uh, pointing out that the greatest spreader of misinformation during the COVID era was the government. Uh, and we see over and over again how these designated experts are used to, to control our lives. And, you know, I had a friend to me who this is their industry. They sent me a, th- uh, a flyer here that they got on the email, but on Sunday, April 23rd from 8 a.m. to 9.30 p.m., they're going to be having a meeting of the National Association of Chain Drug Stores PAC, Political Action Committee. This is going to be CVS, Walgreens, Target, uh, those folks, all the big corporations and phar- pharmaceutical companies will be there. And guess who the keynote speaker is? Or I, I don't know if he's keynote, but guess who one of the speakers is? Anthony Fauci. I mean, you got this guy who's basically been in the position that he's been in at the head of the NIH for 50 plus years. And you say to yourself, is it because he's so amazing at the job he does? No, it's because he does an amazing job at protecting the people in power that stand to benefit from him being in place. His ability to rubber stamp uh, the uh, products and and all the things from these big companies here. And you see uh, all the big players are there. And it's just one hand washes the other. And meanwhile, we get you know, we the people are are getting screwed. Now, I need you guys to um, to uh, listen to this last thing. Now, I never I didn't get to it, but uh, Jack Posobiec did a great thing on uh, the British uh, government um, and their uh, health director that, uh, had leaked text me- messages talking about how they used covid to implement their their political policy. And, um, you know, these people are lying to us all the time. I want to show you one thing. Uh, this is Merrick Garland, the attorney general. Um, and, and he's, uh, talking here. He's our current attorney general. You've seen some of that video. What, what's your reaction to that? So I, I don't want to comment on any particular reports. I think all Americans saw what happened on January 6th, and most of it saw most of us saw it of us saw it as it was happening. It was a violent attack on a fundamental tenet of American democracy that power is peacefully transferred from one administration to another. Uh, um, over a hundred officers were assaulted on that day. Officers died. Uh, we have charged more than a thousand people. Uh- All right. Did you hear him? Five officers died. That's a flat out lie. This is the attorney general of the United States of America giving a press conference to we the people. And he's flat out lying to us. The only person who was killed 
on January 6th was Ashley Babbitt, and she was shot by a Capitol Hill police officer. That video is online for you guys to see. So we tell you that these people are often wrong. They're often corrupt, and they often lie to you. And so we should not be ceding power uh, for these important decisions of our lives, especially as it relates to health care. So I hope that was a little bit eye-opening for you guys. We're going to pick up this conversation next time. Everybody have an amazing day. You're listening to The Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber on America's Web Radio. We'll catch you guys next time. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.